Thank you. Welcome, everybody. Super excited about week three of this series. And uh, we actually have a special uh, story for you. As you know, in this series, we've been sharing a story each week. Uh, the first week, we heard an uh, incredible story from Joe Pineda. Last week, we heard Amber tell a bit of her story, which was incredible. And so this week, we have our very own Joe Perez. Come on. He got this. Good morning, church. Okay, so I got the text from Pastor Shane on Wednesday afternoon asking me if I would tell my five-minute story. I didn't answer for a couple of hours thinking maybe he made a mistake. <laughs> maybe he would say, too late, you, you took too long. No such luck. He waited patiently for my answer, which was, yes, Pastor Shane, I am willing. I have thought many times about writing out my testimony of how I was pulled from my addictions and reborn from a life where I was truly dead in sins. <clears throat> I was born and raised in Escondido with four siblings. My mom and dad worked hard and provided a loving home. I grew up in a good neighborhood with horses, dogs, cats, chickens, motorcycles, I went to good schools, so I do not have anyone to blame for my introduction to the party life, but that is what I started doing after high school. I got married when I was 21 years old, and we had two children right away. I worked hard, but I partied hard too, and my marriage soon dissolved, not too long after. I began to party even more. Soon I got involved in another bad relationship and had another child. This relationship was one battle after another, especially when it came to visitation with the first two children. I wasn't keeping up with my child support, so my visits with my two older children were taken away from me. <clears throat> I would have fought in court over this, but I was too prideful, thinking that my ex-wife and her family would see the error in their ways and give my visitation back. My reason for not fighting for them was I couldn't afford a lawyer and I was not in the right frame of mind to fight it and fight my ex-wife. During that time, I got into a terrible car accident and I almost died. It took a couple years for me to recover from this accident and I found myself back into the drug and alcohol scene and in more bad relationships. My mom and my oldest sister, Carol, never stopped praying for me. After one of these relationships ended, my sister Carol gave me a card from a place called Calvary Ranch. Their slogan was, a place where Jesus does the healing. I think I ran around for at least a year with this card in my wallet. One morning after partying all night and falling into another great depression, <clears throat> longing for my oldest children, I was sitting in a parking lot one morning in my car, and I finally decided that I just couldn't live like this anymore. There were times when I would be out with my friends and family, and I would truly be enjoying myself, and all of a sudden, I would just stop and say, how can you be feeling this way? You gave up your children. You do not deserve to be happy. <clears throat> I felt like 
my life was over. Later at Calvary Ranch, I found out that that was what being dead in sin truly meant to me. I called my sister and told her that maybe we could check this place out, that this card that I took out of my wallet. She made an appointment for me in a few days and made me stay at her house, um, hiding out from all my friends and, and the world outside. We went to Calvary Ranch and they prayed with me and made an appointment for me to come back and spend a week of Christian rehabilitation with them. When I got there, they shaved my head and taught us that we were here to fall in love with Jesus and have a personal relationship with him. I thought, well, fall in love with this guy? I'm like, we could be friends maybe, but, you know. (laughs) But... um, I saw a lot of love in the staff and, and the people around me that had been there for a while. And this is, you know, I wanted that. There was a lot of hugging and lots of prayer, much like Heart Church. But I struggled to truly open myself up to Jesus. I would question everything I was reading in the Bible. Then one night during worship, it just hit me. I was letting my head get in the way of my heart. I was reminded of the verse that, I read in Romans, confess with your mouth the Lord is Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that I will be saved. I just wanted to surrender my heart and give it to Jesus. So I finally did. I felt a warm wave rush over me during this worship. And suddenly there was just a tremendous weight lifted off of me, a weight of sin. I looked behind me because I felt someone breathing on me, but there was no one near me. It was the Holy Spirit, and I knew it. I was overwhelmed and overjoyed, and everyone could tell. People in the church started sponsoring me so I could stay for a couple of weeks longer. I came back to my sister's house and hid out for about two years, going to work, coming home, reading my Bible, and going back to church. By this time, it had been 10 years since seeing my oldest children, My youngest child has been with me through the bad and with me when I began my Christian walk. I still prayed that my older children were okay and that they somehow knew that I never stopped loving them. A couple of years into my Christian walk, my ex-father-in-law called me and told me he thought my children needed to see me, especially my oldest daughter because she was getting in trouble a lot at school. She was then 15 years old. We started getting together a couple of times a year, and it was awkward for them. So I didn't push it, but I continued to see them occasionally. I then married Virginia, which is another great story for another time. Again, my ex-father-in-law called me when my oldest daughter was 22 to tell me I was going to be a grandfather to twins, Shane and Ella. When the twins were born, Virginia and I went and visited them at the hospital. I remember telling Virginia that I was sad. And she says, why? And I said, I just probably won't be around to yell at them for jumping on the sofa or, you, you know, just hanging out with them. But little did I know what was in God's plan. After the twins were born, my daughter went to live with her mother. They have a tumultuous relationship and were not getting along, so she reached out to me to let me know she had nowhere to live with the twins. She came to live with me and my wife, Virginia, but soon I found out something was not right with her. 
Everyone on her mother's side thought she was just being, she was just nuts. But she, once she came to live with us, I started observing her behavior, and it was all too familiar to me. And I knew instantly what was going on with her, as well as with the twins' father when he would come to visit. He was high and actually falling asleep standing up. When I called her out on it, she became defensive and angry. She took the twins and moved back in with her mother. At this time, Shane and Ella were five months old. It was one of the hardest things in my life to do to take my grandchildren away from my daughter. We took custody and I felt like I was a backstabbing hypocrite. But the babies were the most important to me and Virginia because their safety was in jeopardy. I made it my ministry to stop the bleeding, end the drug and alcohol abuse in my family. When I took the babies from my daughter, she became lost to us for over a year. When one day I got the call, Dad, I am dying and I need help. My lovely bride, Virginia, could have said, no way, not my baggage, but she did not question me. Virginia and I got my daughter through her addiction with a whole lot of heartache and a whole lot of love. And a couple of times, my daughter even got kicked out of halfway houses, plus the financial hardship was devastating. We got her through her heroin recovery. She is 10 years sober now, and Shane and Ella are just amazing kids. We have kept our relationship with Jesus, and he is our anchor, and we feast at his table. So when people question me about my faith, I just say I can't explain everything, but my life changed for the better 20 years from the day I asked Jesus to change my heart. That's my story. It's a testament to uh, to your life and Virginia, your life, because uh, all the all the middle schoolers want to want to stay in to hear the story. It's really cool. Oh man, now I have to preach. Whew. Uh, the the reason uh, how we met was uh, I had the privilege of. Um, volunteering to coach soccer down at uh, Kit Carson Park when they had no coach. And I'm sitting there in flip-flops, and they're like, yeah, you're not, the, the kids aren't going to play if someone doesn't step up. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And then I got hooked, started coaching, and then Shane and Ellis show up on my team. And they were fantastic. Uh, and uh, season after season after season, I just kept seeing Joe and Virginia over there. And lo and behold, it was a match made in heaven. You guys are awesome. My story. Uh, today is my story. Uh, I want to read out of Psalm 118. And uh, we've kind of been on a journey of talking about the difference between Jacob and Israel and how, who God's created us really to be. Last week we tackled um, how to walk through your past. And we had nails that we decided we were going to let Jesus take from us and not hold on to, that they're nailed into the cross dealing with our past. And, um, and we're going to jump forward next week into talking about the future and destiny and purpose that God has for each one of us. But before we do that, 
we're going to pause this weekend and talk about today. Psalm 118, verse 24, is this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And that probably is a familiar passage to you. It is going to be the bedrock of where we're going to be at today. Um, Do you know what part of your story is most likely undervalued today? So much of our narrative and the narrative of our lives, we spend rehearsing the past or trying to plan and look forward to the future with very little energy left for today. Today's message is about recognizing the profound significance of today. So we're going to dive into John chapter 4, and I'm going to kind of bounce around, so I didn't put all of the scripture up there, but just kind of follow along if you want to open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. It's a familiar story, and we're really going to just kind of look at the story and see how Jesus valued today. And we're going to just look at two simple ideas um, in this passage and, and, and see how Jesus invites us to look at today. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is the day. This is the day. I don't know if, I don't know if you ever like have something fun planned where you wake up in the morning and you're just like, this is the day that I get to do X, Y, and Z. Like the, our church, you guys, we were so generous uh, to, to give us a trip to, to Disneyland for uh, kind of pastor appreciation. And so we have a trip planned coming up here in December. We told our kids, sometime between now and, and, and Christmas, we're going to Disneyland. And, uh, and you'll know on the day we wake up that that's the day because we wanted it to be a surprise. My parents did that for me when we were little kids. My brother and I woke up on a school day and it was normal school day for us. But to them, it was this is the day we get to take our kids to Disneyland. And our kids have been, you know, once other times six years ago. And so this is kind of uh, going to be a really special, probably last time we'll go while they're like little kids. Um, and so, but again, just that idea of today's the day, right? You just like had that wonder and excitement. I know that little kids have that every once in a while. We have that as parents or as, you know, uh, friends, you know, what do we get to go on a fun golf trip or we're going down to, you know, Mexico or whatever we're doing, like today's the day. But then that fades and we get up the next morning and we just kind of look at it like just a normal mundane day that we just kind of have to make through, make do. And I believe that Jesus would want us to look at today a little bit differently, because today is a profound part of your story. Anybody with me? John chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 3, it says, Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he, this is important, but he needed to go through Samaria. So his disciples and Jesus, they're on their way to Galilee. Galilee is where the whole thing happened. They spent most of Jesus' ministry years when they weren't making a trip to Jerusalem. They were hanging out in Galilee. There's all sorts of stuff going on and ministry happening in Galilee. It's where the disciples are from. So they like hanging out in Galilee, fishing, getting out on a boat, um, being with their family and friends. So this is where they're headed. But in order to get there, they had to go through Samaria. So it was about the sixth hour, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Verse 7, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away. This is funny. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So this place was such a place that no one would want to be. His disciples were like, we're just going to pass on that whole deal. We're going to leave to go get food. Jesus didn't ask them to go get food, but they're like, hey, we'd rather do that than hang out with you, Jesus, next to the well because it's Samaria. So we're going to go get food. Jesus, do your thing. Verse 9, then a woman of Samaria said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from, from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and I would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and this well is deep. Where then do you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water thirsts again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him, this is what Joe talked about, will become in him a fountain of living water to everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me some of this water. (laughs) that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw anymore. And Jesus said to her, call your husband to come here. And the woman answered, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you were with is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> Light bulb. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Jesus, it's living, it's active, it's powerful. Lord, it truly is the thing that transforms us. And so today, as we stop for a moment and consider the story, our journey, the things that we've walked through, the hopes and dreams for the future, Lord, tethered between those two things is today. And so, God, I pray as we pause for a moment, Jesus, that you would open up our eyes and reveal yourself to us and how you walked on this earth, valuing every moment, seeing every person. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as I said, the disciples, they couldn't be bothered with this whole unnecessary distraction of going to Samaria. So they left disgusted that they even had to stop at the well. Uh, And in fact, they left Jesus uh, to go get some comfort food to just cope with what is really going on here. And, you know, I just thought it's interesting. I mean, it's an interesting take at this passage because there's a lot of ways you can go with it. But um, I just thought, you know, you and I can relate with the idea that I don't have time for today. And go ahead and put that up there. I wrote this. I don't have time for today. Can I skip it? Can I just skip today? And hey, Jesus, we'll just meet you tomorrow. We're going to Galilee. This is where we're headed. This is what's really important. And Samaria, like, it's an unnecessary distraction, an unnecessary episode. And so we'd rather just skip it. Can I just skip today? Anybody ever had a day where you just say, I just would rather skip it. Jesus, I'm going to meet you in tomorrow because today is not working for me. How many days have you skipped? Ready for conviction? 
How many days were skipped because today seemed too mundane and unimportant to stop for even a moment and enjoy today? How many days were skipped because you were too emotionally unavailable and numb to feel the joys or pains of today? How many days were skipped because you were too distracted by the worries and what-ifs of tomorrow to see the beauty of today? How many days were skipped because we spent our day nursing and rehearsing the pain and frustration of yesterday that we missed today? What I love about Jesus is that he's Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He lives outside of time and space. He knows the end from the beginning, and yet he came to this earth and lived for 33 years. And I actually did the calculation. I know you're going to be proud of my math skills. Jesus lived 12,000, roughly 12,050 days, which is 33 times 365, on this earth, and he was present for every single one. He didn't miss a moment. And I find it interesting because... In this day and age, it's easy to transport yourself to somewhere else. Just pick up your phone. Just start scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or, you know, uh, the news. Or instantly, you're interacting with somebody that you barely know through Facebook that lives in some other state. And, you know, again, these are nice technology things, but it, it immediately takes us away from the present, I mean, if you're parents and you have kids that are old enough to talk, then for sure, when they're trying to talk to you, you've had this moment. Mom, Dad, can you just put your phone down so you can hear what I'm saying? Now, if you don't have kids that are old enough yet to have said that, it breaks your heart. And then the next stage is they get their own phone. But before that, and they're trying to have a conversation with you, and you're on your phone. Anybody with me? Anybody that this ever happened? Parents, you're on your phone and you're scrolling, and you're doing something completely unnecessary, and your kids are trying to talk to you, and they can't get your attention because what you're doing is so important on that phone. And Jesus, he had the ability to be anywhere. I mean, he proved that because he came out the cross and walked through walls and transported himself to other places, and yet he chose to be fully present today. So powerful. Something that we can pass on to the next generation. And even in the most painful moments of his life, facing betrayal, isolation, shame, the Bible says that he bore our shame. The shame of the world. You you felt the weight of your shame. And it's weighty. Jesus bore the shame of the world physical brutality, and yet in the midst of even the darkest, most painful moments, Jesus modeled a life where he was fully present. He asked the Father, Father, take this cup from me. Transport me out of this. I'll meet you in tomorrow because today's too painful. But then he said, you know what? Nevertheless, not my will. My will is to be in Galilee because Samaria is too painful. I would just rather meet you there. But you know what? I'm not going to do that because I need to be here and now, today. Why? Because he knew what we were like. And he knew how easy it would be to not live today. 
He, would knew, he knew how easy it would be for us to retreat to whatever, for the disciples it was comfort food in town because they didn't want to go to Samaria. But for us, what is it for us that we go to and retreat? Because today it's too frustrating, it's too painful, it's too mundane, it's not exciting enough, and I need to transport myself to something that is, Jesus, I'll meet you in tomorrow because today I'm checking out. And the silence in this room is because everyone knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> he knew that we would be tempted to retreat, check out, and sleepwalk through today. So he invites us to face today with a courage and wonder of a child. That excitement that my kids have every day between now and when we go to Disneyland, they're waking up going, today could be the day. It's today. This wonder of a child. So there's two things that we learn from this interaction with Jesus. The first is this. Today is when we discover true beauty. Today is when we discover true beauty. Beauty is not in tomorrow somewhere. And it's not in a memory of the past. We discovered beauty today. Jesus and the disciples were headed to Galilee. Samaria was an unwelcome distraction. Yet Jesus met a woman no one else would have even talked to. Not only does Jesus go to the well, but he stays in this town for three more days. And this is the longest recorded interaction between Jesus and a stranger of all the Gospels. Jesus going to a place that his disciples aren't even going to accompany him. I think it's probably the only time that I've ever seen or read a story where the disciples are hanging out with Jesus and the disciples just bounce. They're just like, Jesus, we can't. I mean, besides going to the cross because they didn't want to get arrested and they all left. Besides that, it's the only time I can think of where the disciples are just like, can't follow you here, Jesus, because it's just, we'd just rather not. And yet Jesus stays in this very town for three more days and says, no, this is actually where I want to be. Today is where I want to be. I mean, tomorrow's got awesome things. Don't get me wrong. Galilee's going to be amazing. But I'd rather stay here. Apparently, Jesus found beauty where no one else did. Um, this Thanksgiving was interesting for us because we discovered VRs. Not VCRs. VRs. This is a VR, virtual reality goggles. Now, I realize that uh, I'm going to probably regret this in the coming weeks. But nevertheless, um, in Colorado on Thanksgiving, um, Heather's brother got a VR because he's been wanting it. And he's like, hey, I'm in, you know, got a couple days off. I got the family in town. Let's get a VR. And I'll explain what they are in a minute. He got one, and then it was so amazing that Heather's dad went out, literally just got in his car, drove to Target real quick, got him one, and then the kids were like, we're going we're gonna to put our money, our Christmas money together, and we're going to go get us one. They're like 300 bucks. They're not cheap. Uh, and so we're literally, no joke, for three days, we're sitting around. <laughs> it's so funny, because when you put goggles on, so here's what they are. They're, they're literally virtual reality. So you put the goggles on, and instantly you transport to... A place. So like, for instance, there's golf. Like you put the goggles on, you're literally instantly standing on a tee box and you can look all the way around you 
to this beautiful golf course. Or you can, there's a Jurassic Park one where you put one on and you're in the forest and you've got like a, you know, Vorossal Raptor or whatever next to you. Literally 360 degrees, you're in a new place. Heather's dad loves to like go, you know, do documentaries or whatever, or, you know, um, the Discovery Channel and be somewhere else in the Alps or something. So he's got one on and he's, you know, on the Matterhorn or something. Like it's, it's truly remarkable. And then there's one where you put the goggles on and it's called Plank Walk. And it's what you think. You walk in, so you create a little boundary and it's hilarious because when you're sitting there watching somebody do this, it's, they look crazy. Because they're in a new world, but they're standing in the living room. So anyway, so you walk into this elevator. It all looks, seems so real. You push the up button, you go up to the top floor, and then, and then you're out, and it's like you're floating, and you have this little plank that you walk on. And so if you're in the middle of the living room, <laughs> you're literally like, this, and you're like about to fall. And if you're sitting there watching it, you're like, what are you doing, you know? But it's so real. And you're like walking this plank, and then you get to the end of it, and then you have to jump but you're not jumping, like you're standing in the living room, but you're jumping. End of this plank, and you're like in the city, you know, like 20 stories up, and then you just, like that's the whole game. You walk to the edge of the plank, and then you jump. And as soon as you jump, I mean, your stomach goes to your head. You're like, wow, you totally feel like, and then you hit the ground, boom! And like a couple, a couple times, like, like actually fell over, but like nothing's happened. You're standing in the living room. It's all virtual reality. Anyway, it's actually pretty amazing technology. And I'm playing golf later today, virtual reality. But, but what was interesting, as I kind of just processed this whole, like, you got somebody in the living room, right? They're walking the plank, and you've got somebody, you know, in the, you know, the woods with dinosaurs over here, like on the side room. They got somebody in the dining room, like playing at a, you know, a, a, a gun game, whatever, shooting people. And you're just watching this happen, and it suddenly dawned on me. You put those goggles on, and you are suddenly in today. Like, there's no game where you put on, and it's the future of tomorrow. Whenever you put them on, you're fully present. You're in, the, you're in the woods, or you're on a plank, or you're in a golf course, and you're living your best life now as soon as you put those goggles on. It's like amazing. You put them on, and you're literally, the, the instant response is, whoa, today is amazing. But then you take the goggles off, and then you're back to reality. Today. And it's almost like we've trained ourselves that, that today is unimpressive. You put those goggles on, just like hits all your senses. And then you take them off. You're like, oh, it just, just palm trees and blue sky, real people. Nah. I want to put goggles on. I want to pretend I'm walking next to a dinosaur or walking some silly plank that's not there so I can jump off a cliff that's not there. Because that's more exciting than today. And listen, we, we are all guilty 
of putting on virtual reality whatever so that we can transport out of the moment. But I just, I was so like, it was a good kind of convicting, convicted. And I came up with a new idea. I call them kingdom reality goggles. And Q. Yeah. And that's the little kingdom of God right there. If you didn't see that, no, obvious, that's obvious. Kingdom reality goggles. Because today is where we recognize and see beauty. And I just thought like, instead of putting on virtual reality goggles, what if every day we got up and we put on the kingdom of God goggles and we were able to see things the way that God sees them? We were able to see our, listen, God made this world and he made it beautiful. He made people and he made them beautiful and he did so for us. I mean, he could have made black and white. He could have just made everything bland. He could have made our tastes bland. He could have made the colors bland. But instead, he made an absolute wonderland for us to experience. And we don't need virtual goggles. We just need kingdom goggles to begin to recognize once again the beauty that is right in front of us. And I wrote this down. Maybe we've traded awe and wonder for anxiety and worry. Because anxiety and worry truly are the things that steal from us awe and wonder. I mean, if, if, if anxiety and worry were not present in your life, then you would wake up tomorrow and you'd go, oh, today's the day because you're not anxious and worried when you put on the virtual goggles and because you're in a new world where there's no worry. I mean, I'm going to walk off that plank and I'm not worried that I'm going to die. It's just going to be an awesome experience. That, that you know, Jurassic Park animal next to me is not going to eat me. Uh, it's just going to be a fun experience. So I get awe and wonder. And I just believe that Jesus would want us to find beauty where we failed to see it before. Overlook faults and flaws. This is the thing I think also we put on the kingdom goggles. We would overlook the faults and flaws of others more, I think. And I think we would face each day with a new awe and wonder. I wrote this down. I want to have a reputation of naively overemphasizing today. and undervaluing tomorrow's worries. Overemphasizing today's beauty and undervaluing tomorrow's worries. I just want to be so naive. I want to be so childlike where we just walk around. I want, I want you guys to get tired of me being so excited about today and so unimpressed with tomorrow. This is today. We're not promised tomorrow, are we? So how would you treat the people in your life differently? How would you cope with tomorrow's frustrations or yesterday's dilemmas if you put those goggles on and you just said, no, today I'm going to see beauty everywhere. And our, my last idea, and I'm going to land the plane here, is today we feast at the table. And I've mentioned this before, but we're going, to drive the, the, uh, we're going to drive the nail in here because we just went through a book that talked about the table. It talked about the feast that God has prepared for us. And we see Jesus um, going to this well, and it says that it was at noontime. And why that's significant is because no one would go to the well at noon. 
Noon is super hot in that climate. It was literally barren land desert. Now, if you go to Galilee, it's beautiful. There's lots of shade. But Samaria is absolute desert. And so to go to the well at noontime would mean you want to go when no one else is there. And that's why this woman was there. And we know her story. She had five husbands and she was living with somebody. And back in that culture, I mean, that was um, completely, completely rejected. And she was an outsider. So she would go at noontime because all the other ladies who she couldn't hang out with because they would just gossip about her and reject her, they would go in the morning in a little group and they'd have fun. And she's all by herself at noon. And so Jesus, here he is at noon at the well when no one else would go. But that's what Jesus does today. He recognizes beauty where no one else sees it. And he found it at that well. Notice how Jesus invites her to face her truth. Go get your husband. (laughs) Like, I love that question. Go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. And notice how this woman would have been totally fine and hoping that that was good enough. Go get your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. Next subject. (laughs) Let's talk about Jacob's well. Let's talk about our ancestors. Let's talk about worship. Let's talk about anything else, Jesus. Like, I didn't read the whole passage, but if you go, I mean, the the entire chapter of John 4 is all about this story, and it's mainly because this lady's rambling. She's just like trying to deflect and avoid Jesus. I don't want to talk about anything else. Uh, I'll talk about anything else but my life. So let's talk about Jacob. Let's talk about worship. Let's talk about our ancestors. Let's talk about you being awesome. But I don't want to talk about me. And Jesus is like, go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Did you see this well though? Our ancestors, Jacob built it and they're awesome. And he's like, you spoke well because you've had lots of husbands, and now you're living with somebody that's not even your husband. Let's talk about that. And she was just reaching for those VR goggles, wasn't she? Like, no, I don't, I don't want to be in today, because today's too painful. And I don't, want to look at, I don't want to look at my life. So let's just put on those VR goggles, and let's transport somewhere where I don't have to deal with today. And listen, I... You know how destructive that is. You, you know how destructive it is when we run to, and again, like I know that, you know, there, there, there's the big ones like, you know, drugs and alcohol and things that people numb themselves to. But let's be honest. I mean, you can do food, TV. I mean, there's so many things that we run to, social media. There's so many things that we run to to self-medicate to just like, I don't want to live in today because today's too painful. Anybody with me? Anybody with me? Just a few hands. Today's too painful. And not only do we recognize beauty today, but we really do feast at the table today. But you have to understand something, that today's feast is for you today. And when you put on your VR goggles, you're saying table that God set for me is not enough. I need something different. And so I'm going to put these goggles on. 
And what's interesting about the goggles is when you put them on, I should have brought them, but they were too expensive. My kids didn't want me to break them. Uh, when you put them on, you instantly can't see anything physical because you're somewhere else. So if I put them on, I could literally walk and I would literally bump into you and I wouldn't know you were there. I am completely unaware of what's actually here for the sake of what I, what I need to see. And so when we live somewhere else, when we live in tomorrow or the regrets of our past or we're just too numb to deal with today, when we're not able to be present, then we actually completely miss the table that's right in front of us. And in fact, we'll bump up against it and we'll hit the glasses over and we'll hit the chair. And Jesus is sitting at this table that he's prepared for us to feast, to give us what we really need, but we can't see it because we've totally missed today. The table is for today. And that's what I love about this interaction with Jesus and this lady is that, she, is that Jesus is like, let's talk about where you're really at and then what comes next isn't condemnation. He didn't break out his counseling notes and talk about all these bad choices and how are we going get to get you back on the right track because this is, a, this is a disaster. You are a hot mess. Let's work this out. He didn't do all that. Now, granted, she's going to have a journey. But the very first thing Jesus did was to say, let's take those goggles off. I know you want to talk about something, anything else besides what's really going on. But let's take those goggles off. First of all, I see you. I see you. You're accepted. I'm here at this well at noon. No one else is here. Not even my disciples are here. I'm here with you. I see you. And now here, living water. And oh, by the way, the living water that I want to give you, what I want to give you today is so incredible that you won't thirst anymore. It's so incredible that you won't need those virtual reality goggles anymore. He wasn't condemning the behavior. He was just saying, listen, what I have to offer completely negates that altogether because it's not real. But I'm real and today's real and you're real and I have what you need. Come on. That's the beauty of today. That's the beauty of today is that we can face our joys and our hardships and our sorrows and we can say, Jesus, I know that you are here in this moment and when I sit in this moment with you, that you have what I need. And just like last week where I told you that Jesus is the only one with the tool belt, today, he's the only one today that has the living water that we need. He's the only one. No virtual reality goggles will ever satisfy when you take them off. It's always a downgrade. It's always, oh, I have to come back to reality. And yet reality is beautiful. Even in the hardships, Jesus is here and he's saying, look around. I love Jesus's, um, his antidote for worry. This is fantastic. Jesus' antidote for worry and anxiety and like, oh, I have to get out of today because today's too hard. And Jesus says, hey, wait, 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 stop. Look at the birds have it up there. Go back a little bit, a few slides. Don't, don't worry. Consider the birds. I made them for you. They're awesome. And then he says, and then he says, hey, and um, don't worry about your clothes. Look at the flowers. Stop. 
Put on your heavenly goggles and breathe in that air I gave you. Open up your, your eyes and see the beauty. Wow. God, you're good. God, you're good. Today we feast at the table. It's a table called grace, but the table is only for today. And you guys know this, that, that, that manna, like the, 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 the children of Israel walking through the desert and, and manna fell on the ground. It was their daily bread, right? And Jesus talks about, I'm the daily bread. He is what we need today. But the manna wasn't good for tomorrow. It was only good for today. And so, and so Jesus has what, we need, has what we need, but we have to learn to get it today. Uh, do it tomorrow, Jesus. Well, no, it's today. I have what you need today. Feast. And this is, the, uh, this is the key to unlock everything. And we read the passage at the very beginning. This is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the key to unlocking today. Put that last slide up. So this is our, this is our anthem today. That last slide, go ahead and put it up. This is our anthem today. No, the very, last, the very last slide. I will trust him with today. Yeah, I will trust him with today. In all that it brings. And I will choose to see the beauty all around me and feast at the table of grace. Today. Jesus you made today. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, I'd never seen it like that. I mean, of course he made it, but sometimes I just feel like it happened. Do you ever feel like today just happened? Like it happened because time doesn't stop and because eventually time rolls over and then today just happens. And then I wake up and just life happens. But I believe that when we put on these heavenly goggles, we instantly go, okay, wait a minute. Jesus made today. So today is beautiful. Even if it's painful, it's beautiful. And it's beautiful because he made it. And not only did he make today, but he put a table right there for he and I. That's got everything I need. It's beautiful. And so, in this journey of discovering and celebrating our stories, may we not miss today. Amen. Father God, I thank you for this incredible narrative that you've laid out for us. As you modeled walking on this earth in the highs and in the lows, You're inviting us to have courage and awe and wonder as we trust you with today and come to the table and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for making today. Thank you for giving me everything that I need. Thank you for the beauty that is all around me. Thank you for the breath in my lungs and the peace that passes understanding and the joy that you've given me that is a promise and a guarantee from your presence. Lord, thank you for today. May I be infectious. 
as we naively overestimate today's beauty and undervalue tomorrow's worries. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless.